you move one way or another. I don't want to stare at the pole all that. Scoot away from Tom. It'll, it'll be better for you. He corrupts you. All right, folks. Before we get into anything else today, we want to lift up uh, Aretha and George's son. He's going in for the lung transplant this morning. Probably right now. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we reach out to you in faith for you to touch George Jr., that Father God, you would touch the surgeons, you would anoint those who are caring for him. And we pray that this procedure will go uh, even better than expected. And we pray, Father, for your healing process to even begin right now. We just ask you to surround the whole family with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Turn to Haggai. There are, you know, when we did Habakkuk and Habakkuk and Habakkuk, uh, there's many pronunciations. And there's many pronunciations of Haggai. But only one is correct. That's what I just gave you, Haggai. And uh, it's not John Hagee, it's Haggai. A-I, Haggai. And if you have problems, go, hey, guy. All right. Haggai, chapter 1. <clears throat> A round of applause for the goodie bringer today. The bringers. There's some goodies back there to praise with. We haven't had a buffet here in a long time. I just mentioned that. You know, I just mentioned that to you. We didn't have it the week that you're gone. Probably so. Probably so. When, I, when, I'm in, when I'm in Myrtle Beach in the heat, doing Bible lessons, four Bible lessons a day in the morning heat, you'll be back here munching on food. You probably won't even think about it. I'd rather be at the beach. Yeah. But we're not at the beach. We're in a class. Yeah. All right. Haggai, chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Jehoiazet. 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 Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm, having, I'm having problems today. The high priest. We'll just call him Joshua, okay? I don't care about his daddy. <laughs> Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be rebuilt, should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple lie in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. 
You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. <coughs> Praise God. Uh, the situation here is one that uh, we've talked about before. The captives were in Babylon for how many years? The Israel? Seventy years. It was prophesied before they ever went how long it was going to be. Uh, but it took that long for them to get their act together and realize that what they lost because of their rebellion against the Lord. So you have all these Israelites in Babylon, and then Babylon was conquered by who? Persia. Media Persia. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you have, but in the, the changeover, some of the same Israelis who were prominent under King Nebuchadnezzar and, and others are now prominent under Darius and Cyrus. And at a certain point in time, at the 70 year mark, the Lord moved upon the kings of, of Persia, Media, Persia. And the reason you have distinctions between certain kings is because one king was over a certain area, one was Xerxes was over another area, and so it was a massive, it was kind of like uh, uh, small kingdoms. Well, these kings decided, under the pressure from the Lord, to let the uh, Israelites go back. And first of all, they went back to build what? The temple. Huh? The temple. No. No. The wall. The wall. Uh, if you're going to have a city in the Middle East, in those days, you need to have a wall. You need to have a wall. And so they sent uh, some leaders back. And we find that Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, they went back. They were uh, in charge of those type of things. And they were building the wall. And you remember why uh, they had so much trouble building the wall? There's a couple reasons. They had a wall. Yeah, they had some enemies. Uh, two of the biggies, uh, Sanballat, uh, was the kind of a tribal warlord of the area. And Tobiah, his uh, henchman, and they just, uh, they ruled over everybody. The Jews were gone, and so they had taken over their land and taken over the areas. And they didn't want the walls to be rebuilt because that would mean that the Jews could come home and get their own property back. So they, every time they were out working on the wall, the Jews that came back to do that, they would come under attack. It got to a place where uh, they had to have one person with a sword and the other with the mortar trowel uh, working on one guard in their back and the other working on the wall. A secondary problem that we read from the scripture is that when the walls were destroyed by the Babylonians, they didn't want it to be rebuilt and they uh, and this was a common practice in those days, if you had walls made out of limestone, 
Uh, it's easy to explode limestone. Limestone has a high moisture content. And if you smear tar on the face of limestone and heat it up, it'll blow up like dynamite. When the Romans destroyed, ultimately destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD, they did the same thing, exploded. And so what you have is not big blocks of limestone to build a wall with. You have fragments that are more like gravel than anything else. Rubble. And Zambalot and Tobiah, they're, they're sitting up on the edge of the Mount of Olives looking down at those Jews building the, trying to rebuild the temple with not big blocks, just little bit you know, mortar of in. You, know. uh, you can only imagine. And they, they began to mock them and say, you know, look at you, building a, a wall with rubble. A fox could come by, brush it with its tail, and knock that wall down. And uh, God took that as a challenge. And uh, there was more mortar than there was rock, but it, it built that wall up. And uh, they were kept out. The next thing that they built were the gates to the city and set them on strong foundations so that there was only certain access points into the city. They had built them up to a point, the wall up to a point, and then they double-fashioned uh, a different type of wall where when you went through this wall, you had to turn. It wasn't straight access. And uh, that kept people from invading uh, pretty effectively. If you're going through a, a, a doorway and when you get in, you got to turn to the left or the right, all they got to do is put people up there and kill you on the way in. When we go to uh, Megiddo uh, in January, we'll see examples of those types of walls that were built in Megiddo or the near the valley of Armageddon. Uh, a similar problem we had uh, last just last week. Well, let's see, what day was it? I forget what day it was. Oh, it was Monday. It was Monday. It was just this week. <laughs> Try to forget. Try to forget about it. But uh, we had uh, out in the barn. Those of you that are going to the barn sale or helping out with it, uh, we have these uh, coat rack thingies that, if you look at them from the top, they look in the sign of a, a Nazi swastika. <laughs> They're just arms out this way and that way. And we think they are uh, Nazi inventions to grapple with the flesh of your hands. And getting those out of the upstairs of the barn is always a treat. And Jamie, uh, Pastor Jamie, helped me get those out. And we were bringing them down, and we noticed something that we've, we've noticed before. Uh, how many of you have been up to the upstairs of the barn? Any of you been up there? Well, when you go out to the barn on the right side, there's a, of uh, this face here, there's a door, okay? Over here, here's the edge of the building, here's a door. Well, whoever built that thing, 
We're, we're going to have a chat when we get to heaven, assuming that they made it. They built the door, and then you have to go right three feet to go up the stairs. So anything that you're taking up or anything you're bringing down, you have to make a 90-degree turn to get out of. Well, they must have been Old Testament kind of people uh, because that's the type of wall and the gate that they made. So those are the things that they had built thus far. They built the walls of the city. And they built the gates and the gate system. And uh, anything else that they did uh, between then and the time that Haggai the prophet is speaking what the Lord wants him to know. Eighteen years have passed since the wall was done. Eighteen years since the walls of Jerusalem had been rebuilt and the gates were there and everything. And what have they done since then? Well, uh, the scrolls have been found. The word of the Lord has been found. You remember Ezra got up and they built a platform of wood and, and he read the, the word a third part of the day and they praised God a third part of the day and prayed. Uh, so they had the word. Uh, they had the scrolls. They had the wall. They had the gates. Sacrifices had been made in the open court of where the temple used to be, but there was no attempt to build the temple. What have they done in 18 years? What have they done in 18 years? Just a wall. No, no. After the wall is done, what did they do in that 18 years gap? An 18 year gap. They went. They 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 went out and found land, and said, "This is a nice place. I'll build my house here. And uh, this is a nice field. We'll clear that field and we'll grow crops." And so they had harvest and crops. They raised livestock. They had their herds and their flocks, and everything was going well. And they were making money hand over over fist. And uh, but up on the Temple Mount, nothing, nothing. They picked land out. They built their houses, raised crops, raised livestock, but not one stone was set in rebuilding the temple. You think that would be the first? One would think. One would. One would think. But one would be wrong. What does that tell us about the people of Israel? They were they were risking their lives to go back there to build this. Uh, it wasn't they were lacking courage. But what does it tell us that for 18 years they didn't see the need of rebuilding the temple of the Lord? What does that tell you? They lost their focus. Why are we here? You know, why did we get 
sent into captivity in the first place, neglecting their relationship with the Lord. Uh, what else does it tell us about it? Uh, about the people of Israel that had come back, they'd done a dandy job, rebuilt the wall with the Lord's help, and uh, they had nice houses. Uh, what, by the way, is a paneled house?
of the Lord. And they allowed his temple to become corrupted and to have false gods worshipped in it. And the Lord said, that's it. And they have gotten to a place where it's still not a priority. Uh, and that's the message that Haggai comes to the people of Israel with. And it's a it's the Lord asking them just a few questions. You, have you ever had somebody call you into the office and ask you a question? Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and it's never a good thing, is it? So, 18 years has passed. They've been very actively involved in setting up their own houses, in going to the mountains in northern Israel, all the way up to Lebanon to get wood to panel the walls and the ceilings and just make it nice. Just comfy. They've got their fields clear of rocks so that they can plant crops. They're having crops come in. They're, uh, they're having vineyards that are growing. They, all these things are going on. But their priorities are askew because God isn't at the center of it. And the key point is, if God is not at the center of our lives, we are off center. Yes. We're out of line. How many of you ever had a car that was out of alignment? What's that do for you? It jars your inside. Driving down the road. <coughs> Have your own vibrator system in there, and uh, how how much uh, speed can you get up when your tires are really bad out of line? What happens when you get up uh, over fifty? <laughs> you can lose control. You can swerve. It'll wear your tires out. Have you ever seen the tires that when the car's out of alignment, what the tires look like? They're bald in different spots. Wonderful tread over here, but nothing over here because they're out of alignment. And we want to look today at a prayer principle of when we are out of alignment, when our priorities are not what they ought to be. Our prayer principle for the day is simply this, praying through our priorities in each of our lives. Uh, you say, well, you know, this country ought to get its act. Well, it starts in the house of the Lord. It starts in, with our priorities. Those things that come before God can push us out of alignment. We want to pray about our priorities, the priorities of the church, the priorities of <coughs> our lives, and uh, we want to look at that extensively today because it's a very important. Why is it so important to have your priorities straight? You know, everything else is out of whack. It gives you strength. It, it gives you strength when your priorities, and you're out of whack. You remember, we've talked about this so much, I, I, I hesitate to mention it, but it's mentioned many times thousands of times in the Bible 
the layout for the tabernacle, what was in the center of the encampment of the people of Israel? Zacharias. What was at the center of the encampment? The tabernacle. The tabernacle. Dead center. If you read through the Old Testament and even in the New, you read through about the tabernacle or later on the temple. They would follow the cloud, right? They had spent nine months, according to Scripture, nine months building all of the different parts to the temple. At the end of that nine-month period of time, the Lord instructed Moses to erect it and set his crews to erect it. And then the glory of the Lord came down and filled the house. Now, they were to worship there as, until the cloud lifted. It says, God is arising. Okay. And they would sound the trumpets at the corners of the, of the fence around the tabernacle. And before anybody could pack their own personal tent, what had to happen? priesthood, the Levites, and the Ergesites, and everybody else, they had to do their job of taking down every bit of the curtains surrounding the outer court, all the ropes, all the, the things. They had to pack up the brazen altar. They had to pack up the labor of water. They had to pack up the walls, and the, you know, 20 feet tall, basically, beams of wood covered in gold. Now, think of the weight of that. They had to take all those down, put them on carts, put the other things ready to go before anybody could pack their own personal tent. That had to happen. And then they would, the priesthood would come, they would put a cover over top of the Ark of the Covenant, and then the priesthood would follow the pillar of cloud by day. And they would follow it walking at a, at a pace where they would not get too close to the cloud. So if the cloud moved this way or that way, they could make adjustment. And then most of the different locations were like a three to four days journey away from where they'd been. And uh, so when the cloud would stop, what would happen next? Anybody remember? The very first thing is, the Ark of the Covenant would be positioned underneath the face of the glory cloud of God's Shekinah presence. Okay? And then they would back, back out. Because the priesthood was not allowed to unveil the Ark of the Covenant. And then they would begin to erect the tabernacle and put the coverings over top and put up the fence and put everything where it belonged. All the interior furniture, all of the exterior furnishings, the, the labor, the, the brazen altar, the one gate, one way in, 
And everything, as you know, everything about the tabernacle was symbolic of Jesus Christ. There's only one way in. Amen? Only one way in. He is the way, the truth. He is the door to the sheepfold. And you remember I mentioned how long it took for that structure to be built and, and ready to go? Nine months. That's how long Jesus was within Mary, awaiting birth. The Savior of the world took on human flesh. He, he became one of us so that he could deliver us from our sin. Every aspect of the tabernacle, symbolic of Jesus. So then they put all the stuff together. Then the glory cloud, the base of it lifted, and the cloud covered how far the parameters of the encampment were. And then they were able to pitch their tent. And the only way they knew where to pitch their tent was it was ordered by tribes. And every for the 40 years of wandering, they had the same look, the same view out the front of their tent flap. The tabernacles in the center. They could only build their house, so to speak, when God was at the center. God never does anything by accident. It's always definitely on purpose. And so establishing the priority that basically said, what did that type of priority say to all the people waiting to build their house and to do whatever they needed to do to put their pitch their tent? What did it say to them? Lord God comes first. God comes first. The sacrifices, the serving the Lord, the worship, all of those things. God, if you put God first, everything else will come into its rightful place. You cannot pitch your tent until you know where God is. So, the people of Israel coming back to Jerusalem, they'd forgotten. This principle that has been ingrained again and again and again and again. They forgot about the putting God first. They had sinned and they were in rebellion. God says, okay, I've given you warning after warning after warning, prophet after prophet. You're going away for 70 years to think about it. It was kind of a, a Holy Ghost timeout for the people of Israel. And they're weeping by the rivers of Babylon remembering the house of the Lord and the sound of worship and praise the beauty of Solomon's temple and now they're back and it's all about me I'm going to build my house before I build the Lord's house so let's look what what God has Haggai to say uh, could somebody read for us verses 1 and 2 don't worry about the name of the governor. Okay? Just don't don't worry about it. And don't worry about Joshua's daddy's name. Don't worry about it. Just say, uh-huh. Go on. Who'll do that one for me? Okay. You got it. 
in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speak the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and the house of our waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Okay, we'll, we'll stop there. We'll, okay. we'll get to it. Um, so, consider your ways. What does that mean, to consider your ways? Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Yeah. This is a think about what you're doing. Have you ever had to say that to somebody? Think think what you're doing. Yes. Yes. Think think what you're doing. And uh, huh? Yeah, I've had to say that a lot. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, Think about. Consider your ways. And then he goes on in verse six and says. You have sown much. They had been planting their crops, right? During this 18-year gap. And you're bringing in little. Doesn't say they were totally unproductive. But uh, if you plant a whole field of corn and you get, you know, 25 years out of it, that's not very productive. Well, but I planted it. Yeah. And uh, you eat <coughs> but you're never full. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You're still thirsty. You clothe yourself, but doesn't keep you warm. You earn wages, I love this one, you earn wages to put into a bag with holes. What's the picture here? What's What's the Lord saying through Haggai to the people of Israel? What, the, what is their current situation? Biden's in charge. <laughs> Biden's, okay. Don't go there right now. Don't, don't go there. Uh, what, what, uh, what's he saying to the people of Israel back in that day? Priorities. Well, priorities, but what, what's he saying to them? What's, before he even says, what's your priorities, what's he saying? All your efforts are like going and working all day for a, a wages. And on your way home, you've worked all day. Maybe they gave you 10 gold coins, okay? Or 10 silver coins. And you're so thrilled. You've worked all day. And you're on your way home. And by the time you get home, you say, honey, I'm home. And Lucille Ball comes in. No, honey, I'm home. Lucy. Uh, And you get there, honey, here's what I... Oh. It's all gone. Everything I worked for. The futility of it. The waste of it. And then verse 7, the Lord says... Let's just stop and think about this, shall we? 
you say it's not time. It's not time to uh, build the Lord's house. What does that tell us? Uh, in talking about priorities, uh, what do we have time for? What's important to us. What's really important to us. We establish our time. Well, you know, you've got to do this and you've got to do this. Yeah. But we establish our priorities with our time and what we spend our time with. The, uh, how, many, how many of you have noticed that when you're busier, time seems to fly by? We, boy, have we been, those of you who worked with us on the food distribution, my goodness, time seems to fly when, when we're just one cart after another going out. We closed out early because, uh, and I, I'm excited about this because, not that some people didn't get food that showed up late, but we warned them out front. Have any of you noticed we warned people out front? Come early, limited supply. This food bank gives us food and they want us to uh, figure out how to divide it up for 200 families. That's our goal. When we're computing out uh, how many loaves of this or how many uh, of those, did you ever see any larger cabbages in your life <laughs> than the cabbage that we had last month? And we're to compute out as best we can, it's not an exact science, uh, to compute out as best we can that when we have gone through 200 families of of food preparation, we ought to have empty shelves. Now most months we have some leftover things. And we take those, uh, Bill takes those to the homeless shelter. Okay. And so they're uh, getting the food there. This month, we, at the end of our day, at the end of our day when we shut down because we were, the last, uh, the last gallon of milk was going out. 206 families were served a full load of food. And do you feel badly for those that came later? I'm sorry, we, we've run out of food. Well, uh, did, we, did we mention on the sign, come early, limited supply? Yes, we did. And we tried to remind people, and people came in late and said, you know, I knew I should have come earlier. Well, there you knew it. You know? <laughs> uh, but the the fact is that you know, we, we try to compute it out so that 200, 200 families, and I felt pretty good. It's not a pride level, it's it's a, it's a, I'm surprised when I do something right. I just, just, that's just my surprise. Actually counted right. Uh, would it be fair for us to say, well, those who came early, we're going to penalize them. Nah. We, we try to make up to do 200 families. We did 206 when you throw in the, the families out with, at Darbydale. The, uh, we're trying to 
establish those things and uh, consider to focus on those things. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just sweeter to give than receive. Yeah. It's so much sweeter. And it, it's, it's those kind of things that uh, we're, we're serving off of a bounty uh, to people in need. And we had over 30 families, it was their first time there. Over 30 families, first time. I talked to several. Uh, the inflation, the rising costs. If you go out to eat, have you noticed that? My, my, my. Sticker shock. Uh, you, can, you can go broke, just go to McDonald's. Uh, things are costing so much more and we're getting so much less and then we had one uh, couple of uh, retired late widow ladies came in and they said they just raised our rent a hundred dollars a month and the utilities are going up it says we we have to decide food or rent i was thrilled to give them their food that day it feels good to be a part of a blessing. Amen? Amen. It feels good. It's hard work. But I said all that to say this. We were just busy the whole time. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but somebody told me that, Marsha, you wore a, a pat in that cement out there <laughs> going around that circle making boxes up. Is that true? I, I think it is. And... Uh, Going around and around and around. There's there's six more people in the line. Keep going around. And then at the end of the day, you just kind of collapse. Whew. And uh, so when you're when you're busy doing something, it makes time fly. But in 18 years, they couldn't find time to put a priority on the things of the Lord. So, what does the Lord tell them to do in verse 8 and 9? Somebody read verse 8 and 9 for me. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man into his own house. Ooh, what's the Lord saying here to the folk? You put your house first. You put your house first. What's he saying? What's he telling them to do? Go where? Go up to the mountain where the big trees grow. Get out of your comfort zone. You're focused all your attention right here. You have plenty of time. You, you, the, you said the time's not right to build the house, alone, but you had plenty of time to go up to the mountains and get wood to panel your house. You had plenty of time to do that because it was on the top of your priority list. And the Lord says, uh, you looked for much, it came to little. And when, I love that line. It says, when you brought it home, I blew it away. What, what, what's the Lord saying here about 
their activities. They're working hard, but what, what's the Lord saying? It's come to naught. It's come to nothing. <laughs> Blew it away. Just You just got it gathered up. It's gone. I just brought in the crop. You know, it, it's gone. The uh, And the Lord says, because my house is in ruins and yours isn't. They set a priority on theirs, their own comforts, their own things. Now, is it wrong for them to have a nice house? No. Is the Lord saying, oh, shame on you. You shouldn't ask for a nice house. No. He said, but you got your priorities mixed up. Praying through our priorities. Uh, they misplaced priorities in worshiping and serving God. Misplaced priorities with God's people. What's the problem with misplaced priorities? We've talked a little bit about it, but there's some other aspects to it. If our priorities do not put God first and then have everything else erected around it, what's the issue? Yes. God's blessings is not on any of it. I mean, it's just like if you do what he wants you to do, it seems like little you can work as hard as you want and it may appear like you're prospering but the Lord is withholding what could happen the blessing on top of it you say well I, I you know what about this person he's not a godly person and he's making money hand over fist and just doing well we're not talking about the, the ungodly right now are we Haggai's not preaching to people who don't know the Lord. He's pre preaching to people who have ignored the Lord and His ways. We are under a different set of rules as Christians. And uh, get, get your eyes off of the front, not yourself because of evildoers and what's happened to them. Don't be so worried about them. Get your act straight with God. Consider your ways. Uh, because God is saying, my people ought to be behaving this way. These ought to be your priorities. And if they're not, I'm not going to bless you. You're going to say, look what I, Daddy, look what I got. It's like a little kid bringing in a, a dandelion that's all the fluffy tops. And, and you're running up, you're running up to the Lord with your fluffy top. Oh, isn't that pretty? Isn't that dandelion pretty? Oh, Lord, isn't that, isn't this wonderful? And the Lord goes, <laughs> and all you got left is an ugly stem. Lord said, you bring in, you say, look at all I got. And he's saying that God's people operate by a different standard. Uh, what happens when, uh, well, it's the problem with misplaced priorities. First of all, it displeases God. How do we know that? We just read that. <laughs> it, it's pretty simple. We just read that. He says, I'm not going to stand for it. I put up with it for 18 years. And you know, when God says, I've had enough, 
He's going to do something about it. He gave them 18 years to get their act together. What a, what a merciful, patient God we serve. How many of you know he's given you a lot of time to get your act together? Too? That's right. How many of you know? That's right. He's been patient. You're still here. You're still breathing. Uh, doesn't mean the Lord is, is thoroughly pleased with all of us, but, but uh, he's a merciful God. He gave them 18 years, and then he finds, okay, that's it. And uh, it displeases God when he's not at the center of your priority. Try and condense this story down that happened this morning to me. I was on the telephone with the Spectrum company. <laughs> and uh, uh, what had happened for the last two days, we can't get Spectrum to show up on our TV and so we, we don't have our local news or anything and how can you live, how can you go to bed at night? without watching the evening weather. I don't know. I mean, we tossed and turned all night. It was just terrible. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't watch any of our shows, you know. And uh, so I called them this morning, and, and the gal is, is uh, talking with me and, and uh, found out that she lives in Canton, Ohio. I said, I used to live in Pastor in uh, Maslin. Oh, really? You know, did you go to the game this year? No. There's only one game in football. Yeah on the planet, and it's Kent McKinley versus Maslin. If you've never been to one, you've never been to a football game, a high school football game. And we're talking uh, how that her, uh, we're just going on, she's, yeah, my son, my grandson was gonna play in that game, he got injured on the first play. He was their quarterback, and he was injured on the first place. Oh, man, she says, yeah. He said uh, he's got a scholarship to Bowling Green, and and uh, but he couldn't play in the game. And and I said, who won that game this year? I knew who won that game. Said, who won that game anyway this year? She said, Maslin did. You know. And then she began telling me some other aspects of her life. She said, I'm upset with my grandson, but I'm more upset with my daughter. I said, why is that? She said. Past weekend was his graduation. I wasn't invited. I've cared for them and they've lived with us and now they're on their own, but but I wasn't even invited to my own grandson's high school graduation. And I said it hurts, doesn't it? She says, Oh, it hurts deep when they don't even think about you. She sighed a little bit. I was going to pray for her. She says, well, you know, I got your modem. Uh, your modem's broke. <laughs> and I says, oh, no, my tech person is out of town at, at outdoor education. Carissa, Pastor Carissa is teaching an outdoor education course for uh, Grove City uh, Christian Schools this week. But, uh, so I don't know, I'm going to not watch the weather, I guess. But she was so hurt because she was neglected and forgotten. 
after all she'd done for her family. I wonder how God feels. When we're going about our business and we don't consider him or his purposes or plans neglected. House is in ruin, he says. And your house is just fine. It displeases God. Not because he is on an ego trip, no. Because he knows how much he can bless you when you put him first. And he, God wants to bless you. He wants to help his people. Remember what Jesus said when he's on the, the road down to, to his final days on earth? He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. God wants to bless you. Amen. Can you say that with me? God wants to bless you. But he cannot if we're first and he's not. So the very first reason that misplaced priorities are a bad thing, it displeases God. Second, there are physical consequences. When I'm talking physical, I'm not talking, you know. There are tangible, would have been a better word, but I couldn't get it in. Tangible consequences when God is not first place and His way is first place in our life. What were some of those that God listed? Those consequences for not putting Him and His house first. Well, there would be a drought. And would be drought, famine, you know. Uh, try to control that, you know. Uh, what else? There, He tells them that uh, there's going to be uh, consequences. The uh, whatever you do is not going to be what you could have done if you'd been in perfect alignment with God. My car that's out of alignment still goes down the road. I'm worn out by the time I get there. I'm jostled about. I've got a headache. My head's swirling. But I got there. But think how much smoother it could have been if I was in perfect alignment. My tires were perfectly aligned and everything was functioning just right. Anytime I think about this, I, I think about uh, years ago I was in Boy Scouts and we had a camp, camp out at Camp Lazarus up in Delaware County up there. And uh, the very first day. We had a wonderful time. I had a wonderful time. And then we ate our own cooking. <laughs> and I was sicker than a dog. The next I was so sick. And the, and the scoutmaster said, well, uh, I need somebody to take Kenny home. Kenny's, Kenny's not going to make it. <laughs> He's throwing up over everything. And so one of the guys, one of the fathers said, I'll take him home. And I got into his old 50 Ford. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm so sick. You know what will make you sicker? 
That car was totally out of alignment. And it was rusted out along the side. The side panels are flapping like this. It's, it's, it's weaving all over the place, shaking like this. I'm ready to throw up again inside the car. But it would have been all right because you could see the ground outside the car because the door things were flapping open. I, I remember that. So there are physical consequences when we are out of alignment, when God's not in the center of our priorities. Everything else is askew. Now you still may go on and you still may appear successful, but you're not as successful as you could have been if Christ would have been at the center of your life. You know, it's like you still got a job, you're still earning wages, right? But when you get it home, there's a hole in the bag. Amen? So, drought and famine are prophesied here. But let's think of what happens, what can happen, when we put God and His ways first in our life. Before we do anything else, Lord, what do you want me to do? Have we got my priorities straight? Are you in the center of my priorities. What are some... Uh, oh, I forgot the another thing about God will eventually punish if we don't have our priorities straight. What occurs when we put God in His ways first? What are some things that can happen if we'll put, if I put God in His ways first, in, in his, my relationship with the Lord first? Yeah. When you can hear his voice clearer. Yeah, when you're you got when he's got your attention, you can hear his voice more clearly. Uh, it's not yeah, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to focus in on somebody. If we're in a crowded room and there's all kinds of conversations, I have to hone in on that person. One of the greatest men I ever knew was Dr. Dennis Kinlaw. He was the president of Asbury College when I was there. And, you know, prestigious position, a phenomenal preacher. But I remember after services when, when he had just really rung the bell with the message, and there would be a line of people, students coming up to him. Here's this guy, he has four doctorates. The guy's brilliant. You know, and... and He's got a line of students coming up, but I'm just a puny little freshman at the time. And I, it was my turn to get up and, and thank him for the message. And, and uh, I had a question for him. And here's the president of the college. And he's like this. He's, my face is there and his right there. And the, a teacher came up. This is Dr. Kinlaw. He didn't move. His attention was riveted upon little Kenny Keene. And that hit me. His attention upon you, you can hear God clearer. Because he's focused in on you. Focused in on you. What are some other things that happen when we put God first in our life? Did he answer your question? I don't even remember. I was so impressed with the way he behaved, I, I didn't, I can't even remember. I, 
takes a load off your shoulders. Yeah, it takes a load off your shoulders. You don't have to be right. You just have to follow the one who's righteous. Amen? Amen. Isn't it tiring trying to be right all the time? But if you stay close to the Lord, you stay, you follow his direction, you're going to be with the righteous one. What else, else happens? Rest. We can enter into rest. We're not frustrated and furious about everything. When he's first, when the cloud moves, you know where to go. Amen? When the pillar of cloud moves, you know where to follow. And that putting God first. What else happens when we put God first? Yeah. We have the peace of God. Yes. The peace that passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I was thinking of somebody had mentioned it earlier, but if you just look at the principle of the tithe. Now, what is the tithe? What is tithe? A tenth. But what is it? Is it the bottom tenth? God first fruits. First fruits. First fruits. It's a principle established not by God but by people. Abraham gave a tithe of all, and and we find that Israel gave a tithe of all. It was it was their way of honoring the Lord, and it comes off the top. How many of you realize in life that no, though I love leftovers, I mentioned that Sunday in the at the. Nursing home, I love leftovers, but uh, God not so much loving leftovers. If you give God what's left over after everything else, generally there won't be any leftovers. That's right. If I'm going to give God what's left, the enemy will consume so there's nothing left. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. And uh, it's like the the person that said, you know, what, what I do, the way I, I give to the Lord, he says, I draw a circle in the ground, and I take money, and I throw it in the air. And uh, whatever lands inside that circle, that's what I give to the Lord. And the other person says, well, I do it a little bit differently. I draw a circle in the ground, and I throw my money up in the air, and I whatever lands outside the circle is that which I give to the Lord. And the little Jewish kid was there and he says, you know what I do? He says, I throw my money up in the air and I say, God, you take what you want. If it comes down here, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> but in the tithe, can I get somebody to look up Proverbs 11, 24 through 26 for me and read, read that, please? Okay, Luke 6, 38. Luke 6, 38. Uh, uh, Sean's got that. Proverbs 11, 24 through 26. I got it. My pages are spinning. Yeah. I got it. I'm running short of time, brother. Get there. <laughs> Sorry about that. Come on, man. Uh, there is fat scattered and yet increase, and there is oil more than meat, but it tendeth the liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that <coughs> watereth 
shall be water also himself. Okay. It's a principle in giving shows a person scattering going to increase more. If you hold more than what's right, it tends towards poverty. We're to have a generous spirit. Especially where the Lord's concerned. And we give unto the Lord and uh, Luke 6, 38. Uh, given it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it will be measured back to you. When we put our giving to the Lord or our tithe, just as one illustration, we take that 10% off the top of everything and we give it to the Lord, we put it in His hands. He is able to do a miracle and make the 90% that we have left do more than the 100% would have done. Yes, sir. As in the, in the story that we're reading today, uh, He said, you so much, but you bring in little. You work hard, but you've got a hole in the bag where the money's concerned. When we put God first in our giving, He blesses. And we can take, we don't have time today to take testimonies of people who found out that tithing and giving offerings to the Lord is the only way to make it, really. And uh, it's a principle. The uh, If you want to see a miracle, Set your priorities in giving to God first, whether it's your financial tithe or your time, your talents, your abilities. If you want to see a miracle, put God first. And God can make all things abound yes, sir. when we're when we're putting God first in our lives. Another aspect of prioritizing is having our steps ordered by the Lord. I'm going to read this one out of the King James because this I learned it in the King James and I can't memorize it any other way. It goes like this. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. In the New King James direct my steps by your word. And let no iniquity have dominion over me. When our steps are ordered, we're saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? Using scriptural parameters, uh, he orders our steps by his word, and the, the Holy Spirit guides us. But if we're just out making decisions on our own, I don't know where this phrase comes from. My mother used to say, willy-nilly. I don't know what willy-nilly means, uh, but but I think I don't think it's a good thing, right? Just don't just do that willy-nilly. I have no idea what that means. Have you ever heard that phrase before? They just they're just willy-nilly. Well, I don't I don't understand, but but thanks, mom. But uh, when we put God first and His ways, and then everything else can find its path in there. I, I, I can only give personal illustration. It used to, when, when my son was young and, and he played all sports all the time, 
And so I was always involved in that, uh, coaching, managing the base, baseball teams and helping out when I wasn't the head manager or whatever. And it would always come up to a, a Wednesday, a Wednesday night. And before the season started, I would tell the coach, the manager, whoever, up until such and such a time, Phil could be here. But at this time, we have to go because we have a priority of church. Well, he'll be benched the next game. I says, well, that's your problem, not mine. You know he's a good player. And... Uh, had a problem with uh, one baseball coach. Phil was one of the star pitchers. And I told him that. He says, well, I can't. I, I've got the rules here. I can't make exceptions for Phil. I said, we're not asking you to make an exception. We're just letting you know. He will not be at a game or a practice on a Wednesday night. Up until a certain point in time. And uh, he changed his parameters. <laughs> And he said, now, tomorrow practice is such and such. Now, I want to let you know up front that uh, Reverend Keene and, and Phil won't be here because they have church on Wednesday nights. And it, uh, you know what happened? Several other kids said, we've got church too. Are you going to go to it? Yeah. He says, well, then you go to your church. Anybody remember the days when they used to not have Oh, athletic yes. events on Wednesday nights? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. At, or Sunday afternoons? Right. Sunday mornings? Yes. But we've let it slide. And uh, I wasn't raised in a totally Christian home. My mom was a, a great Christian lady. My dad was not saved until his deathbed. But she said many, many times, Elwood, don't you mess with me on this. My boys are going to be in church. Right. And uh, we were there every time the door was open. And sometimes even when it wasn't. But uh, established priorities. And I look back at, at my family, I look back at, at the priorities. Well, Dad, can we do this? I said, no. That's not something we can endorse. But everybody else says, no, everybody else isn't because you're not. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard. It's not easy. It is not easy. But it's worth it. It's worth it. I know where all my kids and grandkids are today. It's not because of me. It's because of God's grace. God, God's grace is available. And uh, if we order our steps in his word, put him first. Now, I can't make decisions for my kids, but I can put them in a position where they know what decisions they ought to make. Amen? Mm -hmm. right. And many of you here, you have kids and grandkids that have made terrible decisions, mm -hmm. but not because they didn't know the decision they should have made. Right. Right. Amen? Right. Amen. Right. Amen. Don't allow the enemy to put any guilt on you at that. You, you share the word and you raise them up in the way that they should go. They know where to come home to. Amen? Mm -hmm. Order my steps in your word. Uh, Psalm 30, I got to rush because I'm out of time. Psalm 37, 23 and 24. Now I'm reading this out of the King James because I learned it in the King James and I, yes. 
a lot of my memory is King James. And oh, yes. even when I'm reading other translations, I revert to yeah. King James E's uh, in my reading. So I'm just going to start there. Okay. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Another scripture song comes to mind. It's one of my favorites. They're all my favorites. It goes like this. If you have a King James Version, you can follow along and sing with me. If not, you can fake it. Okay. It goes like this. Well, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. And though he fall, though he fall, he shall not be cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand, with his hand, with his hand. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And though he fall, though he fall, he shall not be cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Oh, give it a shot. Come on. <laughs> well, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And though he fall, though he fall, he shall not be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. With his hand, with his hand, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And though he fall, though he fall, he shall not be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Ordered steps. Consider your ways. And today our prayer emphasis is praying over our priorities that they would be righteous. They would be in accordance with God's priorities mm -hmm. for our lives. And I've told you before stories, and I'm, I'm out of time, but I'm going to tell you one more anyway. I've told you stories before. People that I've known and respected, godly men and women, and they, they made what they thought was a great decision, but they hadn't prayed. And they hadn't run it by the Lord. And they hadn't had the Lord given direction. One such person, very godly man, he was in the banking field, and he received an offer for a great job that almost doubled his salary at another location. And he accepted that. And he got there, could not find a church in that area that he could be a part of. And within a year or two, he came back home, took a pay cut, and was thrilled to do it. When we get ahead of God, when we're going out doing our own thing, we're going to make some stupid mistakes. But though you fall, yes. though you fall, you shall not be utterly cast out, for the Lord will uphold you. He say, hey, you tripped over that. Let's get up and walk together. Order my steps in your Setting godly priorities. A simple prayer. Lord, would you help me work through my priorities, my time, my finances, my, my serving, my whatever. 
your way, setting godly priorities. We're going to stop there today and go to prayer. And that would be one of those prayers that it's an ongoing thing. It's not just a one and done kind of prayer. Uh, maybe for, for me it's not. How about for you? I, I don't think it's a one and done. we got to continually revisit that and say, Lord, is this, is this what you know, you want me to be about where I'm investing my time, talent, and opportunities. But uh, praying for godly priorities. And in the long run, in the short run, you say, well, you know, I'll lose this and I'll lose that. But you know what? When they got that priority straight at the end of the book of Haggai, they went up to the mountain. Amen? They cut down the big trees. They brought it down, and they built the temple of the Lord. It wasn't as pretty as Solomon's temple, but the presence of the Lord crowned it with mercy and blessing. Amen. And uh, lives were changed when they put God first. Consider your ways. Okay, I'm done talking now. I got to shut up. <laughs> Why? Why not? Uh, prayer request today. Remember Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yes. 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 Uh, my brother is in and out of the hospital. He keeps getting fluid on his one lung. And uh, my sister, his name is Bill. And then my sister-in-law, his wife Kay, uh, I'd like prayer for her too. She, uh, she not only has to deal with him in and out of the hospital, but... Uh, their son, who is, I believe, about 60, he has the early set uh, Alzheimer's. And so she has to ferry him back and forth to doctor's appointments, plus being with my brother. And she's getting pretty wore out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's her name? Her, her name? Kay. Kay. Pray for Ed Rodriguez in Florida. He's having surgery today. Ed Rodriguez in Florida. Yes. I'm asking prayers in for my daughter Angie. I guess everybody knows she's been on drugs for a long time. And now she's headed to California with some people and no one's heard from her for two weeks. No kind of uh, email or nothing. So I don't know. Pray that she's alive. Yes. <clears throat> um, I posted a prayer request. My cousin posted a prayer request on Facebook yesterday about my other cousin, which is his brother, who's in a house fire. He might be the last He's in OSU Hospital, but I just found out since I've been here that he's in pretty bad shape. Now, I guess he just got himself up. Uh, he must have been on oxygen at the time. And so uh, he's having a lot of trouble breathing. So that's all I know so far. Okay. His name is Rick. Rick. Yes. Flo. Flo, my sister. Flo, my sister. Uh, unsaved loved ones. Unsaved loved ones, of course. Uh, unspoken request situations that. Doesn't need anybody knows it in him but God. Uh, yesterday, I was at the pastor appreciation breakfast that 
WRFD uh, sponsors. It was a grand time. But uh, one dear lady, uh, she's you've heard her on radio if you listen to RFD. It's uh, Ann Ray. And uh, her, I told you about her husband had advanced uh, Alzheimer's dementia, and he passed away. And so be praying for Ann Ray uh, in this time. <clears throat> Pray for me this this uh, Friday. I'm doing a funeral for a young lady who passed away. I met her one time, uh, came through uh, with her mother that I know through the food distribution and had me pray with her. And uh, at that time, I don't know what her current spiritual condition was. She passed away. Her grandson and her, her mother uh, attended here uh, for a little while. And he requested, the grandson requested that I uh, do the funeral. So uh, we don't, I don't, I'm not really in that much contact, but I need wisdom of what to preach. I know I'll be preaching about salvation, but I need to uh, have direction from the Lord for Friday. Yes? Um, Lisa, what used to be Lisa Page, Lisa Boss, her husband John passed away Saturday.
Father, we thank you for the message of Haggai to us. Yes. About godly priorities. And Father, we ask that you would guide us and direct us to get our, our ways directed by your ways. Our path directed by your word. That Father, we would consult you first, not after the fact. Lord, we would put you first in every decision and every action, every day. We're thankful, Father, that you are faithful to keep your word and your promise. Yes, we pray, Father, for these many needs that have been lifted up today. There are needs of healing. There are needs of restoration. There are needs of, of strength for the weary. There's needs of of doing a miraculous intervention in a situation. We have one where we don't even know the location of the person, but you do. And we pray, Father, for your divine intervention right now on our daughter. For each of these circumstances, whether we know their name or we do not, you know everything about them everything about their situation. We pray for those who do not know you as Savior, those who have wandered astray and are in jeopardy and need to come home to Jesus. We pray, Father, that whatever it takes, you would draw them to that place of coming to themselves and saying, I will arise and go to my Father. Father God, send us across the path of someone whose priorities are askew and help them. Help us to reestablish our priorities day by day and put you and your work first. We give you praise for all that you've done for us in the past and we ask for your continued blessing and anointing to go forward. I thank you, Father, that the People in Haggai's day heeded the words of the Lord and rebuilt the temple that had been broken down. Father God, thank you that your word can do miraculous things when we listen to it. Send us out today rejoicing, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.